So if you're a guy, you're going to be really excited about this. Why did I say that and a girl goes, woo? <laughs> yeah, apparently. So in the guy's bathroom, uh, one of the guys on our, on our board last week said, you need to replace that toilet in there. So me being the nice guy I am, I took Mikey and I went down to, and down to Costco and bought a toilet. And we replaced the toilet in the men's bathroom. Again, why do the ladies go, yay? Because <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't use it. I, I, I go hide somewhere and I got to go. I got stage fright. So well, I said this and then some of the ladies went, well, you got to replace ours. Apparently in the women's bathroom, if you've been in there, there's a toilet that says like, you know, stand your head and flush this three times and spin around and maybe it'll go down. So... We have a plumber, and he has ordered you guys new toilets for your bathroom as well. This is where a guy needs to go, yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's wonderful. Uh, I got one thing to ask you for. Uh, if you know somebody who has a refrigerator that has a glass front on it, uh, you know, like, like, like a Sobe fridge or a wine fridge, something that has a, that's maybe about this tall. Because when we do baptisms and stuff, people sometimes will bring desserts and they need to be chilled desserts. And so we put them in my fridge and then we conveniently forget about them and then I eat them all week. And then you can tell. I don't mind you leaving them, but some people really like those chilled desserts. And so what we'd like to do instead of putting them in the fridge in my house and forgetting about them, actually put them out uh, where all the other food is with the glass front so you can see what's in there. So you open it up and grab something and stick them back in so they stay chilled. So if you know someone who has one, they want to give it away, or they're not using it like an old, like, you know, Coca-Cola, so we're just sitting in the garage somewhere, we'll take it, and then we'll use it for baptisms if you have one. So, guy first service. He comes up and he's all, he's all, I don't know if I know anyone who has one, but, but I love scavenging, and so I'm going to find you something. <laughs> and I, I'm not really looking for the scavenge thing. Like, I was at the dump, and I threw this in the back of my truck. You want it? <laughs> it's not really what we're looking for. We want something that actually works. and doesn't, It doesn't cost me $100 for an afternoon to run the thing, okay? Just like that. Okay, stand up the reading guns. Wait, 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 wait. Stay up, stay, stay. Sorry, this is for Paul in the video. I forgot to do this last service. That's why you're standing there? Hey, welcome to Element. If you're new, this is what we do. We freak you out. Snip, snip, snip. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you, you can use one. There are sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. You have a smartphone. You can download the app. It is called YouVersion. You click on Live in there. It will bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get the sermon notes and the verses and all that go along with today's message. <sighs> Stay on the arena, God's word. And they're going to hear you laugh on the video, and no one's going to know why you're giggling about that. That's funny. It's Isaiah 55, verse 9, and it says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people who understand that your thoughts and your ways and your purposes are so much higher than ours. And we would simply be a people who trust you in the things that you have said and the things that you have done, so we would be a people who fully honor you. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this is our 10th week of a series called The Stupid Summer. It's about how people who call themselves Christians believe a lot of stupid things that aren't in the scriptures. Uh, these sometimes are things that maybe somebody told you or it just felt right to you or any other reason, but it's not really a biblical one. And again, that's not to say that you are stupid. Sometimes we are sold a bill of goods that we grab onto, but they're not actually true. It's kind of like this thing called fool's gold. 
It's fool's gold, a thing called pyrite. It is iron sulfide. It's pale brass yellow in color. And for a long time, it, it fools people. Hey, this is real gold. And they grab it and they go in to turn it in. And it's not real gold. You were just an idiot and spent all your time mining something that doesn't really work. Uh, so, and, and again, fool's gold looks real, but I guarantee you, if you are getting married and you give your fiance a pyrite ring, they are not going to be happy about it, right? And that's what kind of these dumb things are that Christians believe. They kind of they kind of look real at the time, but they're fool's gold. We we jump at something or latch onto something, but when a trial comes into our life and it tests that thing, that thing just falls apart because it was worthless. Now, today I got to be really careful on what I say because I've changed the title of this three different times. I did it before Mikey printed all the things, so we're, so we're okay in that. Because what we talk about today could be true or untrue, depending on the context. Uh, the first time we we're going to talk about this, it was going to be that God has a blueprint for my life, because that is true and it's, and it's untrue. Uh, God has a will. His will cannot be thwarted. But that plan includes more than you sitting on your butt and playing video games all day long. And so we changed the title of this to that God's will is hard to find. So that's for title today. Have you ever noticed that when it comes to, if you're going to make a major decision in your life and you call yourself a Christian, we all experience this heightened sense of discovering God's will, right? I mean, uh, right now, Element doesn't know if we're going to stay here or move or what we're going to do and all of that. And so we, we're just trying to get you guys to pray about that. One, at the board meeting last week, one of the guys on the board said, we should get people together and have them pray. And my response is, they should be praying anyway. That's it's like, oh, I got a tough decision. I should start praying. Pray anyway. If you're in a gospel community, when you get together, it should be one of the things you pray about. God, Element doesn't know what it's going to do next week. So, not next, obviously, but you know, it doesn't know what they're going to do. So, you know, please give them either some money to buy the place they're at, or show them where you want them to move, or wherever that's going to be. Pray for that all the time. It's not that you don't care the rest of the time. You're supposed to pray all the time. But seriously, if you're making choice about a job or selecting a college, maybe determining the future of a romantic relationship, deciding where to live, none of us really want to blow it. So we seek all of God's will with a little extra fervor. We pray for it. We ask about it. We search for it, all in the hopes that it will become clear exactly what God wants us to do. For some people, they will look for signs and coincidences and open doors that indicate, hey, this is where God wants you to go. Other people look deep within, seeking like a supernatural sense or an inner peace to show the way. I know someone who likes to do what I call Bible roulette. They're like, dear God, what should I do? And they go, flip, bink. That's not how you do it. Okay, she might just go, flip, bink, you know, Judas hung himself, go and do likewise. You know, you might, you might just, it might not be the best thing in the world. Tie a mule stone around your neck and hop into the sea. Okay, that answers it. I only want to know what, if I should buy a car or not, but I got it, okay. You know, it's, it's, it's that, that kind of thing, we, because we all come to this place where we want to know what God's will is, and we search for it. And I am convinced that the majority of people assume that God's will is two things. They believe it's important, but they also think it is very elusive. Now, God's will is important for obvious reasons. Any time that God has a specific plan or preference in mind, only a fool ignores it, and a bigger fool defies it. It's why there are stories of Jonah and Abraham in the scriptures. Defiance is never a good option. But on the other side of that, is God's will really elusive? You know, if God's will is so important, why would he make it so hard to find? I think the answer to that is that it's not really that hard to find. Most of it is spelled out in black and white in the scriptures. It is not hidden. It's not a cosmic Easter egg hunt where you've got to go find God's will, and if you don't find it, you go home with an empty basket. That's not how it works. But for some of us, we still feel that no matter how hard we search, we keep coming back to this idea, what is God's will? 
And I think in many cases we're searching for the wrong thing. It's like an Easter egg hunt where the kid maybe thinks that, uh, you know, Easter eggs, they are, they're square and they're polka dot in color. And so they keep walking past the real thing that's right in front of them looking for the thing that isn't really the real thing. I think it stems from a concept that many of us have been taught from birth. We're led to believe that God has a highly detailed blueprint for our life. Again, which is true and untrue. We think his plan would include a specific period in job, career, house, spouse, car, and everything in between. So as a result, we spend a lot of time looking for a specific person, place, or that thing that God has set aside just for us. It's like the egg that we're all looking for. But in one sense, I don't think that egg actually exists. Open to Genesis chapter 2. Easy to find. First book of the Bible. Second chapter. If you look at the scriptures and how God interacts, he gives us great freedom. And a lot of people don't like that great freedom that God gives to his people. So if you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, and Genesis 2 sets this from creation. Genesis 2 verses 16 and 17. God speaking to Adam and Eve says... You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, what we focus on is the don't eat from that one tree. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, that's what the serpent does. He says, oh, God told you not to eat from that tree. How terrible is God? What a mean guy he is. But at the focus of the text, the Hebrew text in Genesis 2, the focus is you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden. The focus in Genesis is the freedom. You are free to do anything except dishonor your relationship with God. So this idea of like this detailed blueprint that is more than God ever intended is a myth. Let me see if this makes sense to you. We confuse God's freedom in our lives with the legalistic mindset of God's will. What that does is it confuses God's omniscience with God's divine will. God knows everything, down to the numbers of hairs on our head, but that doesn't mean when you buy a car, God really is going to care what color it is. You know, if your heart screamed for blue and you're bought red, it doesn't mean you're in rebellion against God's divine will. I mean, in one sense, God has a blueprint. It's just different and involves more freedom than we think. And that difference is really important. Now, we confuse blueprint in God's eyes like a blueprint like we would use a blueprint. If you, if you ever used one or looked at one, this is how it works. You have a specific set of instructions that spell out everything you are supposed to do in detail. It's so specific that if you can follow the instructions and know how to follow these instructions, you can build exactly what an architect has in mind. You don't mess with blueprints. You follow blueprints. At least that's what the county tells me. And if you've never had the experience, just try and submit some plans and then not follow them exactly, and they will tell you too. I I wish it on all of you. You will enjoy this much better. (laughs) Now, for a lot of us, that is our metaphor for God's will. But in doing so, we take away all the freedom that God intends for us to have. I mean, don't get me wrong, because a lot of people at this point are just like, oh, I can do whatever I want. No, that's not what I'm saying. The overarching theme of our lives is to glorify God. Westminster Catechism of Faith, question one, what is the chief and highest end of man? The answer, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. If you think of God's will that is just like this blueprint, if you were driving down to Element this morning, you're like, I get there at 11 o'clock, and God has a specific preordained parking spot that you're supposed to pull into, and if you don't get that, you are in divine disobedience. What is wrong with you? Or do you think maybe God cares more about how you drove down here and how you conducted yourself, and did you run over someone trying to pull into that parking spot? How about this? Okay, I have spoken with more than one man who, during my time as a pastor who believes that he married the wrong woman. 
And when they got married, they prayed, they sought God. They said, this is God's will for my life to marry this person. They honored God, they married them. But a few years go by, and they're disillusioned with God because his will has thoroughly jacked them up, and they have a terrible marriage. Now, again, I don't think that God really jacked them up in in the middle of that. Then think about this, too. If that is real, then, then the poor girl he married is stuck in ruin forever, too. And so people say this thing with God. Well, what if I just wasn't listening to God's will and I married the wrong person? Well, that means the girl that that guy was supposed to marry probably married somebody else, and that life is now messed up as well. And then the, the, girl, the guy on the opposite side of that married somebody else. And, and holy cow, you just messed up marriages worldwide. I know it might explain a few things, but... You know, it's boggling your mind. But if you think of this, how God really works. This is how I think it really works. Uh, you know, you meet someone. You love them. You honor them. You marry them. In that process, you glorify God in doing that. that. That is God's will. But as your marriage goes on, maybe you start to get lazy. You stop seeking the other person first. You stop honoring them before yourself. And eventually, you see everything they do as an irritation and a nu- nuisance. Is that God's will or not? That's not God's will. So when did you leave the plan? Was it the marriage or the ceasing to honor God by living how he called you to live? See, that's, that's the difference. And this is not to say that God doesn't ever have a specific thing in mind. Sometimes he does. Like three weeks ago, James talked to you about Hosea and Gomer. In Hosea 1, 2, 3, 4, God tells Hosea, go marry Gomer. Pile. Go marry Gomer. You know, and he says that. In the, in the book of Exodus, God tells Moses and the children of Israel, this is when you're camped. This is where you're going to move. This is where you're going to go. This is what you're going to do. In Jeremiah 18.2, God goes to Jeremiah and says, you're going to go to that potter's house, you're going to watch him make a piece of pottery, and I'm going to give you a great illustration of how I work in people's lives. In Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10, God changes the apostle Paul's itinerary, and he wouldn't allow him to go to Asia or Bithynia. But these acts, these explicit instructions, are exceptions. They're not the norm, even in the biblical heroes that we look at. The fact is that we have much greater freedom than a blueprint allows. And I personally think that's the main reason why de- the details of God's will always seem so hard to find. Because we're asking God, what colored jelly belly should I eat? And God says, I don't care. I don't have to taste it. But don't eat the popcorn ones because they're from Satan. <laughs> In our lives, we have great freedom. But I will tell you, I think God cares more about how you work than where you work. Or how you live than where you live. Or even you know, how you live in marriage as long as it's within the faith and who you marry. I mean, in the New Testament, there is no emphasis on the kind of decisions that we always fret over and struggle over and stress over. Instead, the primary emphasis is always on God's character, God's character in his people, and daily obedience as the pattern of our life. Now, faced with the decision, of course you should pray. Of course you should read the scriptures and ask for God's input. And if God does say something, you follow it. You do what he says, even when it's difficult. But don't be surprised when God's leading is more in how you conduct yourself than necessarily what that thing is on the back side. I think not understanding God's will has a significant spiritual downside for us because what happens is when we don't understand God's will correctly, we become paralyzed by fear. See, my, my friend Sean, he works as an estimator for a commercial painting company. His job is he's got to take blueprints, often like a couple inches thick. He pulls out everything that has to do with like a painting job. He's got to note square footage, walls, trim, ceiling, schedule timelines. He's got to catch any side notes about finishes or materials. And based on what he comes up with, they then decide to price and bid a job. A subcontractor's worst nightmare is to bid so low that you get the job, but not high enough to actually make any money on the job. This whole thing could keep people awake at night figuring it out. And yet a lot of Christians live their lives like that as well. They're petrified of making a mistake. 
I, I know one guy, he's afraid to even get married because he never feels a clear yes from God. I have been married 21 years, and I still don't think I ever got a clear yes from God. All I knew was, she's hot and I want to touch her. And, and I'll tell you, we agree on Jesus and politics and theology, but we still argue. If you're around us enough, eventually you'll see someone get the stink eye. Usually me, because I just say something and not realize what, what I'm saying. I know another guy who's, who's afraid to go off to college because, you know, I need God to tell me what college to go to and, and what dorm to live in when I'm there and exactly where to be. And, and God just needs to burn a bush outside my house. Not necessarily. And it's this mistaken belief that there's only one right choice in every major area of life. There is no freedom. Seriously, what if you move to the wrong place? Move back. Get back in your car and drive the other way. You you drove there, you can drive back. What if you rush into a marriage too quickly? What do you do? Well, I think you get a little bit of counseling, you work through the issues, and you begin to make it work. I think a marriage is two servants serving each other. I have never had a problem when two servants come in and say, how can I give to you? How can I serve you? How can I give you what you need? And they both do that for the other. The problem in marriages usually come when someone's like, well, how can you give to me? You're not giving enough to me. I'm not getting enough from you. You need to give this to me. That's not being a servant. In a marriage, it is two servants serving each other. Now, obviously, if the scriptures clearly state something, you do it. But when there's doubt, you do what honors God, and you make the best choice and trust him for all the details in that. After dying for our sins, rising from the dead, adopting us into his family, God is not going to doom us to a life of regret because we think we made the wrong college major choice or or picked the wrong job, maybe even the wrong spouse. And if you do make a mistake, there's always the path of obedience in every single situation. I mean, even on the back end of some really stupid decisions, and I know because I have made a few, my wife will tell you all about them if you probably ask her. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It all works out because God is sovereign over everything. I think also by not living in freedom, we get a totally skewed focus. Because we start to focus on all the wrong things. Instead of looking at and worrying about the weightier matters of godliness and justice and mercy and grace and obedience, all of a sudden we now make the central thing finding the right mate or finding the right career or renting the right house or buying the right house. I'm not saying those decisions aren't important, but they aren't nearly as important as a daily life of obedience to Jesus. And for instance, I know I keep coming back to this a lot today, but, if, but a lot of you guys are young and you're looking to get married at some point, so that, that's okay. I am amazed at how many people come to me and ask for prayer regarding their decision if they should marry someone they're dating, all the while blatantly ignoring God's will for their sexuality. I never quite sure how to respond, so I usually just respond with loudness because I I get really loud. That's kind of part of my personality, if if you don't know. And people ask with a lot of sincerity as if it's never done on them that God might not bother to show them who he wants them to marry when they're ignoring his instructions on how to date. See, seriously, it's not as if God's will for our sexuality, how we're supposed to treat each other, is really hard to find. I'll give you two, just in case. Well, where is it? Okay, 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. Spells it out very clearly on how we're supposed to live our lives. And see, in most cases, we already know what God really wants from us. We just don't think it works for us at the moment. And the error is this mistaken assumption that choosing the right mate is going to triumph living the wrong life. And it doesn't. What happens as a result, what we do is we just start to treat God as a part-time blueprint consultant. Well, I've got a major decision. I'll seek God. But he's not really relevant to all the little areas of my life. I'll tell you, that's a problem because God doesn't do consulting. God does God, and and that's it. And this humanistic blueprint mindset, it tends to turn our focus more towards trying to find the hidden egg rather than becoming the people that God intends for us to be. 
I mean, if you are single and you're praying, you know, to God about a, a specific, uh, some traits for a, a mate that, that you want to find. God, bring me this person. It's like, I would like a girl who is really hot and sexy, who likes video games, has read the Song of Solomon, and knows how to do the sexy dance. That's what I want, God. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's actually in the Song of Solomon. There's a sexy dance that's in there. The other question you probably need to ask instead is, why does this person, if they exist, why would they want to marry you? That's the question you should be asking. You know, oh, because I'm really good at World of Warcraft. Okay, you like like that's going to do it right there. You need a job, buddy. You need a job. Let me help you in that. A, a blueprint mentality always puts us in search mode. But God's will involves more than finding the right mate, the right house, the right job. It involves a life lived on the mission that God has set us to. God's true will, it emphasizes that the knowledge of God's will is easily within reach for all of us. It involves basic guidelines, and all the principles are actually found in the scriptures. If you have those basics in mind, you can know what to do, what not to do, how to live, no matter what kind of situation you find yourself in. I think God's will, it is very simple. It's just very, very hard to live because it is so simple. I think even the newest Christian can live God's will. I think that's why Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what a yoke is? It's not the center of an egg. A yoke was like a steering wheel for oxen. Okay, that, that's, that's what a yoke was. It's simple. It's simple. With that in mind, I'm going to give you some real-world basics on following God's will and finding out what it is. You're like, yay, it's be good for you. Number one, easy, easy to follow is this. Obey what you know. Obey what you know. I think the starting place to find God's will is obeying the commands and instructions that you and I already know. I think the pathway of obedience leads to further light. But if we disobey, I think we get less light. Romans 1 kind of tells us this. I think sometimes, you know, it's a waste of time to seek God's leading for a major crossroads decision if we're currently disobeying him in things we already know. I mean, not to be harsh with you, but in Proverbs 1, 24 to 32 and Proverbs 28, verse 9, the scriptures call prayers like that detestable and that God might even laugh at you when you pray like that. And don't get mad at me. It may not sound godlike to you, but he said it, not me, so I'll take it up with him. Whatever. All right? And maybe, maybe you're a woman and you're thinking, I want my husband to value me. God, please have my husband value me more. And yet all the time you're just nagging, 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 devaluing him and not being a servant of him. Well, why would something change in that? If you're a guy and you're like, I want my wife to find me really sexy all the time. Well, you know, are you valuing her? Do you, do you set her as like the most precious gift that God gave you? Do you love her in that regard? Maybe you, need, maybe you need a job like, God, give me a job while you sit around playing the video games all day. You're expecting God to ring, ring, ring. Hey, this is God. I got $100,000 a year job for you. It's right over here. Just go ahead and get it. Sweet. I knew it was coming. I just had to pray long enough. It's not how it works. Okay? <laughs> Obey what you know. If you're a new Christian, you don't worry about all the things you don't know. And the same for the rest of us. Simply start with what you know. Live that life. The rest comes in time. Secondly, get the facts. As many as possible, get the facts. You've got to use your brain. It's why God gave you one. The facts always matter, even in the spiritual realm. Uh, Proverbs 19, 2 and 3, Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Do you know, in some religious traditions, if you question something or go and look for the facts behind something or hesitate before jumping in, you are labeled as unspiritual. That, oh, you used to have faith. You jump right into that. And faith and facts don't go hand in hand. They do go hand in hand. Faith and facts go hand in hand. In Acts 17, 11, I told you this a couple weeks ago. Apostle Paul was preaching the gospel to these people, and they go and check everything the Apostle Paul said with the scriptures. It wasn't like, how dare you question me? I'm a man of God. He said, this is praiseworthy. This is noble. This is good. 
Biblical faith is not illogical. It doesn't deny the facts or ignore the facts. I know if you watch TV or the news or go to a movie, if there's a Christian anywhere in any TV show you like, they're either going to end up being some crazy trying to blow up the world or they're going to be like molesting the kids or stealing money or doing something crazy because that's how the world views Christianity. They try to convince you it's just not logical. Christianity is actually logical. It fits the facts. Now, certainly in the middle of it, we may not understand all what God's up to, all of what God is doing, or how it's going to work out in a particular situation, but I would suggest it's never illogical to do what God clearly tells us to do. I think it's the most logical thing in the world. The real issue we all face is determining if our latest crazy idea is the Domino's pizza from last night, or God's leading in our hearts. And the only way you know with certainty is you look between your harebrained idea and what God's calling you to, is you look at the facts that surround it. We just came out of a year and a half in the book of Genesis. Genesis 22 is one of the craziest stories about Abraham's willingness to do what God calls him to do. God shows up, take your son to Mount Moriah, and they're sacrificing him as a burnt offering. And what happens the next morning is is Abraham isn't like, oh, what am I going to do? He's like, okay, saddles his donkey, gets his people, puts everything on, and he just goes. No questions asked, just just goes. Now, at the end of it, God's like, you're not going to sacrifice your son. He provides a ram in its stead, and this is where we start to get our our idea of substitutionary atonement, all pointing to the person of Christ. But at first glance, you look at Abraham's actions. They seem to defy logic. I mean, most of us, or hopefully all of us, would be like, that's crazy. I would never do something like that. But if you look at the backstory, it begins to make sense. God has come. He has spoken to Abraham. He has said things. God has made increasingly difficult promises, and God has always come through. And so when God comes to this, and he, and he says this, you know, take this promised child that, that I gave you and go and do this thing, Abraham's like, I'm going to trust you in this. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I will trust you in this. Based on his past experiences, he just trusted God. Abraham would have been a fool to disobey. I'll tell you, we're not all that much different. I mean, God's never going to call you to go sacrifice your kid. Some of you may pray for that. Dear God, please tell me to sacrifice my kid. That'd be great and wonderful. Right? But the whole thing was to point to Jesus and who he was. And Jesus has come, so he's not going to do that to you. But if you have an Abraham-like step of faith that he wants you to take, I believe that there'll be no doubt when all the facts start to line up and you'll see what he wants you to do. I think it's like, like Abraham. Before doing something rash, you be sure you have the facts straight. Use your brain to confirm it, what God wants you to do number three you think biblically you think biblically this is important it is hard to follow god's will or plan if you don't know what the scriptures actually say as opposed to what you think they might say i think the current state of biblical illiteracy among christians is terrible you should all start reading your bibles more uh, do you remember when this whole thing came out a few years ago wwjd what would jesus do all right everybody wearing even non-christian that you wearing the bracelets w what, what would jesus do the problem is that a lot of people wearing the bracelets have no idea what jesus would do <laughs> You know, it does you no good to try and do what Jesus would do if you don't know what Jesus did. It's not enough to take your best guess. Well, Jesus would drive a Prius or a VW. That's what Jesus would do because he was a hippie. Jesus would smoke pot because I like smoking pot. So I think Jesus smoked pot too. You know, I mean, just all this crazy stuff. But if you look at the scriptures, God's will is not something that we would ever make up on our own. Think about this. Would you come up with love your enemies? I mean, the craziest hippies I know don't love all their enemies. They just want them to disappear and go away. Pray for those who persecute you. Serve those you lead. Keep your word at all costs. Those things only come from spending time in the scriptures. And the fourth thing in this, which is what we're going to talk about, is master the basics. Uh, you know, we're football season, so you got a whole bunch of, you know, basic training comes through as they start to go in, and they have hell week and all that. Uh, 
And you, when you're an athlete, you have the basic skills to play the game. You have to. You have no chance to win. This kind of holds true for God's will. There are some fundamentals that I believe every Christian should master, and they're all found in the Scriptures. I think they tell us explicitly what God wants us to do or not to do in any situation. You want to know what some of those are? Tell the truth. Be kind. Offer grace. If someone throws evil at you, you return good. Serve. Honor. Pray. Give. If you're wondering what God's will is, look throughout the scriptures. The best ones are the ones that say, this is what God wants, or this is God's will. That's a good indicator. Right? If it says, this is God's will, oh, oh that's, that's a good one to look at. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says, God's desire is that all people be saved. That means if you're a Christian, you live with Jesus on display in your life. You live so everyone would know who he is. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Repentance in this context is a spiritual turnaround that results in following Jesus. God wants you to follow Jesus. Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit. That means we are controlled by God's Spirit. This goes on and on. Ephesians 6, uh, 5 through 8, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, 1 Peter 2, 13 to 15. God wants us to be sexually pure, avoid immorality. He wants us to respond with grace and respect and obedience to authorities in our lives. And I will tell you, when I read certain verses, I sometimes get convict about, convicted about my own life as well. Because I have sought God's leading in specific circumstances in my life while I ignore the fundamentals that God has already shown me. I have done that too. And I'm sure if I've done it, you've probably done it as well. I mean, so does it really make sense to ask God if you should apply for a promotion at your job if you're already failing to respect your current boss? You know, to ask God what college he might want you to attend when you're already not even taking your current studies seriously. You know, if God, if God wants you to get married when you're already messing around with your boyfriend or girlfriend as it is. See, we're supposed to be a people who seek God's direction and not resist the words of the Spirit in Scripture or the whisper of the Spirit in our hearts. I believe certainly that God does have a plan for all of us. I believe it involves lots of freedom and the details He brings about to His glory. Because our job is not so much to find something like this hidden little egg. It's to become someone, a certain type of people, a reflection of his image and character no matter where we find ourselves. We've got to stop hesitating and stop overthinking and stop rejecting all of these good things that God brings into our lives. I honestly think that God's will in our lives is less a blueprint and it's more like a tapestry. I don't know if you've ever seen a tapestry. On the backs of a tapestry, it's all tangles and knots and gnarls, and it's really ugly. But you flip it over to the front side, and it's just this beautiful mosaic of everything coming together. I think that is God's will. I think we see the backside and the, and the snarls and the knots and the tangles and all of that stuff. And I think one day God's going to go, this is what I was doing. And we're going to be like, it's beautiful. And God's going to go, I know. I'm God. I know what I'm doing. You need to trust me. You need to trust me. See, this is what's interesting about coming to communion every week. Because in communion, people were like, that can't be God's will. Jesus just died. They just crucified Jesus. How is that God's will? And yet it was a salvation for all of us. See, that's why you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. That's why you dip it in the wine of the grapes. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and I. Because this thing that people are like, that can't be God's will. It was. It was. Pain and heartache meant the redemption of God's people. And that is a beautiful thing. And nobody understood it at the time. But now we're 2,000 years removed. We look back and we think, well, how could they not know that? Because it was hard. And they didn't get it. And yet God's will was perfectly clear. Jesus honored God in everything that he did. And we are to be people who do the same thing. Now the band's going to come up. 
And as they do, they're going to do a couple songs. And as they do these songs, uh, we invite you to take communion, to remember, you know, this gracious gift that, that God gave us. And at the time, you know, it didn't even really seem like it was like God's plan to do this thing. And yet, it was. So we invite you guys to take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, I mean, maybe you're in a place in your life and you're like, I don't know what God's will is and I'm, and I'm really kind of, you know, desperately seeking this thing. I'll tell you a couple things. One, they'd love to pray for you about it. But secondly, God's will is also very, very simple. It is to honor him. It is to glorify him. And you, you love God first and others second. And it is about grace and goodness offered to those around us. It's simple. It's just in the end, it's, it's really hard to live. It really is. Because I think of the simplicity of what it is. Um, there's some food and stuff in the back, and every week we try and get you guys to go back there to meet some other people. If you're new, we'd love to get you connected to somebody else, maybe get you into gospel community. Because even in the midst of this, and living God's will, which is, which is simple, just very hard to live, we, we don't do it alone. It's so much better to do it with other people around us. You know, other people are saying, hey, you know, let's, let's walk this path together. Let's go this direction together. It is easier with other people because God intends for us to live in community. And there's also offering boxes inside and one in the back. And we give because, you know, part of God's will is that we become a generous people. We honor him with, with our resources and all that we are. So we offer you that as well. Guys, I will tell you, again, that God's will for you is seek first his kingdom. He has loved you first, so we love God first above all things. And secondly, we love those around us. And in doing that, we offer so much grace to the world around us as we live in his truth and the gospel that he has brought, especially in situations we don't understand. Sometimes we think, well, this can't be God's will. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it's something hard that God's taking you through to teach you what you need to know on the backside. And so we trust him in those things because he is the one who is good. And our will is to become a type of people who honor and glorify him through all of it. Let's pray. Part of this morning, I ask that we would be this people who understand your grace and your goodness, even when we don't understand the things that we sometimes go through. That the reality of your will would be something that becomes so deeply ingrained within us that the way we live would be completely changed. That we would understand the extravagance of your love that was first given to us. And then we in turn as your people give that back to you and to those around us. Because your will is something that we all seek to live within. Because your burden is light. Your will is easy. Just very hard to accomplish on the backside. So give us a strength to live in your will, to see things clearly, especially when, when we get so caught up in, in who we are and, and what we think. Have as many times to get ourselves out of that equation and to simply trust the extravagance of you that we have been embraced in the arms of our Savior and that in all that we do, we lift you up so that all men would know that you are our great God who has sought and saved and redeemed your people. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. And teach us daily how to live and walk in that will of yours. Amen.